week. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. If you don't know where Lamentations, if you've been in Jeremiah, it's just one book to the right. It is, I believe, there's some, there is some uh, dispute over this, but I believe it's also been written by Jeremiah the prophet as a lament. And we'll talk more about that. But in the midst of what is really a dark book and a heavy book, there is this one bright, shining light of hope. And in fact, these are the verses that you probably know from Lamentations. And so we're going to read those together this morning and talk about that. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Remember these words from David earlier. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Can we pray to the Lord together this morning? Heavenly Father, we come right now and we come into your presence and some of us come into your presence as broken people. And Lord, we look around at our lives and we wonder what the prophet Jeremiah was wondering all those years ago. Where is the evidence of your love? Where is the evidence of your goodness? And I pray that like you did with Jeremiah so many generations ago, that you would lift up our gaze to a higher and greater horizon. That we might see that your love is steadfast among every generation, even in the darkness of night. I pray, Father, for those that are in sin that today they would be drawn in by your mercy. I pray that those who are broken would be made whole by your compassion. I pray, Lord, that your word would be clear and that you would work through this broken, flawed preacher to share the beauty of the gospel. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Marshall and Susan Shelley had the blessing to be the mom and dad of a little girl named Mandy. Now, Mandy was born with with a condition called microcephaly, which meant that her brain had not developed in a way that is typical or normal, and it was smaller than normal. And as a result, she experienced great difficulties and hardships as a child, and Those hardships that are experienced by a child are always too experienced by a mom and a dad, aren't they? And so in a 1996 article in Christianity Today, Shelley wrote about her experience. And she wrote about how she would sit there and watch her daughter convulse and writhe with seizure after seizure. She talked and described how their life began running from one doctor's appointment to the next doctor's appointment. One surgery to the next surgery. How it was filled with sleepless nights. And seemingly endless tears. She explained how it had created strain on her marriage with Marshall. And how tension had come and difficulties. And ways that they couldn't have even foreseen. Even when they knew the situation was going to be difficult. Well unexpectedly. Shelley discovered that she was with child a second time. And, and as you can imagine she was elated and she was terrified. She was excited and she was afraid. 
And so she went to the doctor and he was going over her scans with her. And her worst fears were realized. The doctor explained how portions of the baby's brain were missing. How he was malformed. He had a cleft palate and a cleft tongue and a cleft foot. And the doctor told her that everything that he saw in the scan showed that the baby was incompatible with life. And he urged her to abort the child for her own health and for her own emotional well-being. Susan and or Shelley and Susan and Marshall refused to do that. And she carried the baby full term. And when she gave birth to her son, she held him for the entire span of his life, which was a mere two minutes. And as Marshall told this story to the graduating class of Wheaton College, he explained that he and his wife decided that they would name their son, their two-minute-old son, Toby, after the Hebrew name Tobiah, which means God is good. And as he summarized the experiences that he and his wife had had through the pain and the distress of his children, he summarized it this way. He says, life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. And brothers and sisters, that is a summary of the book of Lamentations. Lamentations has been described by some as among the very darkest portions of all of Scripture. It happens, it's a a, a series of poems written in the aftermath of the sacking of Jerusalem by by the nation of Babylon. Babylon had blockaded the city of Jerusalem prior to taking it to the ground. And it was blockaded so severely and so long that the famine spread across the city. And the people of God, the chosen elect people of God had to revert to cannibalism to be able to survive. The historians tell us that mothers resorted to devouring their own children. It's the worst of the worst, the darkest of the darkest. And Babylon comes and they raise the city to the ground and they march the people off into foreign lands. And here is Jeremiah looking upon a a city that is ruined and looking upon a people that is even more ruined. And and he begins to say, God, how? In fact, the original name of the book in Lamentations wasn't Lamentations. That's the Greek name. It comes from the Greek Septuagint. The Hebrew name of the book of Lamentations is how. As in, God, how could you allow this to happen? God, how could this even be possible in humanity? Chapter 3 is the center, the hinge point of the entire book. And it is a place in which... Jeremiah explores the depths of deepest darkness. He says out loud before the face of God, I find happiness to be an impossibility in my life. And yet in the deepest darkness breaks forth the brightest light in the entire book when he says, but I know your love is steadfast and I know that your goodness is dependable and so I will place my hope in you. Your mercies are new every morning. And what I want us to look at this morning is how it is that we might have the brightest light in the midst of the deepest darkness. How it is that as we experience the hardness and the difficulties of life, that we might ultimately be able to say, like the Shelley family, that God is good even though life is hard. I want you to see what Jeremiah saw first, that God's mercies are fresh. 
that God's mercies are fresh. The, the Lamentations chapter 3 really comes at us from two different perspectives. First of all, it comes to us from the perspective of Judah. Their lives have been ruined because of their own sins. They are experiencing the hardships that they are experiencing and the devastation that they are experiencing because they have disregarded the Lord and disregarded His word and disregarded His warnings and presumed upon His grace. And so now their lives, their nation, their people, their families have been ruined as a result of their own unfaithfulness. And then if you read chapter 3, what you'll find is that much of it is written from the first person. In other words, much of it is Jeremiah writing from his own perspective. And so we see a second perspective, and that is that Jeremiah's life has been ruined not because of his own sin, not because of his unfaithfulness to the Lord, but because of the sin of his nation, because of the unfaithfulness of others, because of the sins of others. And so he finds himself at the bottom of the barrel, in the depths of the night, because of the sins that are happening around him. Now, our lives are ruined similarly. I don't know why you might feel like your life is ruined today. I don't know why you might feel like your life is ruined tomorrow if it doesn't feel that way today. It could be because of your own sin, like Judah. It could be, like Jeremiah, that it is the sin of the culture around you. And as a result, you're reaping the benefits. It, it could be that it's sin's effects in this world that because this earth is under the groans of futility that you've experienced sickness and illness due to no unfaithfulness of sin of your on, but you are left grappling with the realities. Well, if that's where you are, and I can promise you at some point, if it's not where you are, it is where you will be, then Jeremiah shows us the starting place. He says, this I call to mind. He is aiming his mind. He is meditating in the midst of his darkest night on the hopes and the goodnesses that he has assured to him in the Lord. That if we find ourselves in the place where our lives seem ruined, if we find ourselves in the darkest of night, that what we must aim to do is aim our minds and call to our minds the truth about God and the truth about our circumstances and the truth about our hope. This is what Jeremiah is doing. And as he aims his mind Godward, what he remembers is that God's mercies never end. God's mercies never end. That as you looked out over a situation as grim as the one that Jeremiah saw, it must have looked to him like God had stopped loving his people. It must have looked to him as he sees Babylon marching off and, and destroying the temple and crushing the walls, as he sit there and witnessed moms devouring their children, as he saw the, the elderly being forgotten and demised and the young being taken, taken advantage of. It must have seemed as though the situation was beyond the love of God and that God had removed and abandoned the care that he had once had for his people. But then his mind aims on a higher horizon. He begins to look up higher beyond his current circumstances, beyond what he's facing right now to remember, no, 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 regardless of what my eyes see, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I today know, I know something even truer than what I see is the reality of who God is and God's love is steadfast. It never ceases. It never comes to an end. 
That he aims to see not just the reality of his circumstances, but a greater reality than his circumstances by lifting his gaze to see that the Lord's love across every generation has been true and steadfast. And his generation is not the first one that God should have forsaken. His generation is not the only one that God should have stopped loving. And yet God had refused to withhold his love from his people. I apologize for the TV. I don't know what it's uh, got going on here. Technology is great except when technology doesn't work, right? And so what, here's what he says. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never sees. His mercies are new, or his mercies never come to an end. Now you'll notice that this is plural, right? Now that stands out to us. If you've ever heard that phrase, his mercies are new every morning, we don't often think of mercies as being something plural. We think of mercy, right? And when we think of mercy, what we typically think of is Forgiveness, forgiveness, right? I've often heard mercy defined, and I think this is a good definition, by the way, that mercy is you not getting what you deserve. That is God withholding from you the wrath that you are rightfully on. Well, I think when we hear God's mercies are new every morning, that's where our mind goes. And that is a good place for your mind to go, but there's something bigger in in the picture here. That what we're supposed to see in the plurality of his mercies is that forgiveness is simply one thread, one strand of the manifold mercies of God. There is a bigger, more beautiful picture in play here in Lamentations chapter 3 and in Jeremiah's mind that can offer us hope. That the word, you could actually translate it as compassions, as the compassions of God. And typically, when the word compassions is used in the Hebrew, it refers to a mother's care for her child. That it's used, in other words, to describe a mother who, self-sacrificing as she is, nurtures her child, who wakens to to him or her when they're crying in the night and runs to her at great expense to herself, who makes sure that the baby is fed and nursed, that that comforts and consoles the child, that, that helps the child grow into full maturity and become all that he is, even though that child has nothing to offer to the mom. The child only needs and the mom only gives, and yet the mom keeps showing up time and again for the child and the picture here the picture here is that we are the child always in need with nothing that we can offer to the Lord that he needs with nothing to offer to the Lord that that makes him more complete nothing that we can alter to offer to the Lord that is of any substance or consequence and yet as often as we need with nothing to the, to offer the Lord comes to us and he nurtures us and he shows kindness to us and he sees us through the night and as often as we awake and as often as we cry the Lord comes to us time and time again and he gives of himself and his mercies, his goodness, his compassions seemingly are inexhaustible even though it seems to come at great cost to himself. That is, you know, if you find a good mom, and I know some of you didn't experience this, but if you have a good mom, there is nothing that you can do that makes that mom stop loving you, is there? You can be harsh with her and she'll still love you. You can abandon her and she'll still love you. You can disrespect her and she'll still love you. You can cause everybody else in your entire life to throw in the towel and to quit on you. And your mom will not quit. This is even more true of your heavenly father, brothers and sisters. This is even more true of your heavenly father. And so 
Jeremiah is conjuring up this image in our minds that we could see that there is more forgiveness in God than there is sin in you. There is more compassion in God than there is pain in you. There is more more mercy in God than there is brokenness in you. That come to him and call out to him and cry to him as often as you must. And what you will find is you will never reach the bottom. It's without end. His mercies never end and his mercies are never stale. He says it clearly there in verse 23. They are new every morning. Every morning. It brings my mind to what we saw in the Exodus. You're there in the Exodus and the people of God don't know how they're going to eat. And they wake up in the morning and there is fresh manna, fresh bread given to them, provided for them by the Lord. Now something interesting happened. If the people of God tried to save up the manna, tried to store up all the bread, do you remember what happens? It spoils. It's covered in mold and filled with worms. It's worthless. In other words, God didn't want his people living on leftover mercy. God didn't want his people living over, living on leftover provision. That what God wanted his people to do was to sleep by faith that God would provide again faithfully the next morning. That every night they put their heads to bed not knowing where their bread is going to come from, not knowing how their provision is going to come, but certain, certain that in the morning the new mercies would come, certain that in the morning the new provision will come, certain that God was going to provide when provision seemed like an impossibility because that, that is who God is. His mercy was always going to be new. You know, when you wake up in the morning, last night I got a great night's sleep. Can you tell? I mean, I got a good night's sleep. I'm feeling good this morning. And, and, and I'm not one of those people that often sleeps well. And last night, I mean, like a rock, I went down. And when you have a good night's sleep like that, you wake up and you just feel renewed, don't you? You, you want to attack life with enthusiasm and with fervor and you can live with passion. And you're, you're kind of looking forward to your day because you're like, man, this is one of those rare days I feel good, man. You feel renewed, right? But no matter how good you slept last night, by the end of today, you're going to be tired. You're going to be weary. You're going to be worn out. And the picture that we have here of the Lord is a God who is always renewed. He is renewed day in and day out, all day, every day, all night, every night. That he is not worn out, he is not exhausted, and he is not threadbare. Just as he was this morning, he will be enthusiastic to provide for his people tomorrow morning. Just as he took care of you today, he will enthusiastically see you through tomorrow. This is why Jesus said, today is sufficient for its own trouble. Tomorrow, the Lord, just as he has provided for the birds, just as he has provided for the lilies of the field, will provide yet again for you because he isn't tired. He isn't tired of you. He isn't tired of taking care of you. He isn't tired of providing for you. His provision is dependable because his mercies are new. You know, you can exhaust the love of your parents. And you can exhaust the love of your spouse. And you can exhaust the love of your children. You can exhaust the mercy and the compassion of your friends. But brothers and sisters, you can never exhaust the love of God. You can never wear his mercies threadbare. 
You can never call out to him so many times that he rolls his eyes and wishes that you would just stop. His mercies are always refreshed. He is always enthusiastic about caring for his people. And that's why, that's why in Jeremiah's mind, he stops and he's been speaking about God throughout the entire entirety of the poem he's speaking about God and for just a second his heart breaks out into praise and he speaks directly to God in the words that inspired that great hymn that we know great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness I have worn out all the people that I know and I have worn out all the people that I love and I have worn out all the loyalties that I've had but great is thy faithfulness that I cannot exhaust you oh, brothers and sisters that's hope that will get you through some deep darkness won't it that's hope that will get you through some deep darkness. God's mercies are fresh and God's grace is satisfying. I'm one of those people, some of you are like me, I have to learn things the hard way. Right? Anybody else like that? Yeah, testify, brother. Like, that's me. And, and my mom, it was not lost on her that she had a dangerously curious child uh, growing up, I, you know. And so my mom sometimes would go to great lengths to warn me of potential dangers about things, you know, like fire and electricity. Because I just have one of those minds that, don't, that doesn't shut off. It never goes away, right? And so I remember my mom had had one of these talks about electricity and with me and all these kinds of things. But I was with my, at my grandmother's house and mama wasn't there. And I had to know. I had to know. My mom's learning about this right now for the first time. And so, y'all, I'm embarrassed to say this. I stuck my finger in a live light socket. And now you know what's wrong with me. <laughs> oh, what a shock that was. And I learned. I learned through the old school of hard knocks, the school of suffering. You know, by his grace, God has told us in his word how we can flourish and thrive. By his grace, God has told us how good he is and how true he is and how dependable he is. But for most of us, we have to learn that in the school of suffering, don't we? We can't take him at his word. God has to teach us and train us to long for him and to need him and to recognize that he is the source of hope that we have. And this is what has happened with Judah. And this is what is happening in Jeremiah. That God was bringing them into a season of suffering. Bringing them into the school of discipline. That they could learn that he was truly their only hope. That is that he is what they need. He says there in that Psalm, uh, Psalm 16 that I quoted from earlier. This is David. He's bringing into our minds what David said. That the Lord is my portion. It's, it's covenant language. It's a way for him to say that even if the only thing that I have is the Lord, the Lord is really all that I need. The Lord will always supply me. The Lord will always secure me. The Lord will always sustain me. That as long as I have the Lord, I have plenty for me. And so he says, the Lord is my portion. The city may be gone, but the Lord is my portion. The walls may be crushed, but the Lord is my portion. My life may be ruined, but the Lord is my portion. My family may have forsaken me, but the Lord is my portion. But the Lord is enough. 
And this, this is what God is trying to teach to his people, that what we see is both how they got into the condition that they got into and their way out of that condition. You see, the Lord had always told his people that all that he, they needed was him, but they didn't believe him. Their hearts couldn't believe him. And so they would throw themselves at sex, and they would throw themselves at money, and they would throw themselves at every, every false god that made the slightest little promise to them of something better. And they would throw themselves at their lives and at their cultures and at their neighbors, hoping that they could just have a little bit more. And the whole time God is saying, you don't need all of those things. None of those things will satisfy you. None of those things will be good enough for you. The only thing that will satisfy you is me. The only thing that you need is me. And you have me. And so here he is, having brought them to the ends of themselves, there in the darkest night, in the midst of the deepest darkness. And he said, finally, finally, won't you realize, now that you have lost all of your wealth, now that you have lost all of your city, now that you have lost all that you once held dear, now won't you see that all you have to have is me? And you still have me. So that's the hope. You know, we have trouble believing the same thing, don't we? Christ is all we need. Brothers and sisters, I have preached and preached and preached, and yet my own heart struggles to believe it. My own heart struggles to apply it. I don't need a nicer truck, and I don't need a new house, and I don't need other people to approve of me, and I don't, I don't need other pastors to think that I'm great, and I don't, I don't need perfect harmony in my life. I don't need every comfort and every convenience and every preference. I, I don't need any of those things. What I need, what I need is Jesus, and Jesus I have. But my heart struggles to apply it. And so you know where we learn it best? We learn it best in the school of suffering. That when you're on the receiving end of a chemotherapy needle, you recognize in a way that perhaps you've never recognized before that Jesus is what I need. Jesus is what I need. When you're, when you're there at the edge of the graveside of your child, in a way that you've never realized before, you begin to recognize the only way I'm going to wake up tomorrow and the only way I'm going to walk tomorrow and the only way I'm going to eat tomorrow is if Jesus is there. Jesus is what I need. You find yourself curled up on your bathroom floor because you've just found out about your husband's infidelity. It reminds you that Jesus is the only faithfulness that you can always depend upon. And Jesus is the one that you need. And Jesus is yet still the one that you have. That it is the school of suffering, the classroom of hardship that teaches us what God has already told us. That the Lord is our portion. And so long as the Lord is our portion, regardless of what else may come, regardless of what else we may know, regardless of the difficulties of tomorrow, we will always have what we need. It's even better than that. Because wherever the Lord promises himself, he doesn't just give what he, he promises you what you need, but he always gives you more than you need. That the, he is what we need, but he is also better than we deserve. That in this idea of portion is also provision. 
that, that God is all that we need. And one of the reasons that God is all that we need is that God always gives to us exactly what we need. This goes back to what Jesus says. Today is sufficient for its own trouble. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. I will always take care of my people. I will always provide for my people. I will always give to you. Not an easy life. Not a convenient life, not a life without suffering, but I will always provide for you everything that you need to persevere through the moment and to bring me glory as you do it. You will always have what you need. And so here he is, and he's saying, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my provider. Therefore, therefore, I will hope in him. Therefore, I will hope not in myself. I will hope in him. I will hope in the person of who he is. In other words, Jeremiah doesn't look to Judah and say, if you want a better life, you better start living better. He doesn't look to Judah and say, you better channel the inner goodness that is within you. He doesn't look to, to, to Judah and say, you better find that true heart, that true self that is within. What he says is, you better look beyond yourself to the person of God and recognize that your hope is not found within. Your hope is not found in your heart. Your hope is found in the reliability and the kindness of your God. Christians, the hope that you have is not that you are good. The hope that you have is that Jesus is good. And that's why karma just won't do for the Christian. That's why karma just won't do for the Christian. Karma has become a cultural catchphrase that many Christians are using openly. And, and the comfort of karma is supposed to be twofold. One, that what goes around always comes around. That if people have wronged you, they're eventually going to get what's coming to them, so don't sweat it. And the second thing is, is that if you're good, then the good things, even though your life is bad right now, are eventually going to find their way to you. But let me ask you, how good are you? How good are you? When in your life have you ever done exactly the right thing for exactly the right reasons with exactly the right attitude? How good are you? See, the trouble with karma is that it's always coming around to all of us. That we're always going to get what we deserve, and what we deserve is not good. Grace provides something different. Grace doesn't say like karma, look within yourself. Grace says look in him. Look in Christ. The gospel is not, it always, it, it, what goes around comes around. The gospel is not if I do good, I'm going to get good. The gospel is that Jesus did good and he got what I did wrong. And I did wrong and I get what he did good. That's hope. Taylor Swift has a song out right now called Karma that's incredibly popular. And this is what she says, because karma is my boyfriend, karma is a god, karma is the breeze in my hair on the weekend. Karma is a relaxing thought, aren't you envious that it's not, that for you it's not. But can I just tell you that karma is not the breeze in your hair on the weekend. Karma is a boulder that you must bear until your life ends. But great is thy faithfulness. Great is the good that is in Jesus. That he has already borne that burden on your behalf. He has already taken everything that was coming around at you. That if you will place your faith and in your hope in him. That no matter what you face. No matter what you've done. No matter what you know. You will find in him a steadfast love that is inexhaustible. And mercies that are new every single morning. Because you aren't faithful and he is. 
brothers and sisters, we have better news than the world. Finally, I want you to see that God's goodness is dependable. God's goodness is dependable. You learn dependability through experience. Enough time has passed now for me to, to share with you something I've talked around for a long time. But about six years ago, I am convinced that I was on the edge of a nervous breakdown. I didn't want to keep going. I didn't want to, I wanted to quit everything. I felt like a failure at everything. And in March of that year, I remember my Sarah Eliza was just a little thing. And I, I keep the kids uh, on, they stay with me on Fridays because I'm off on Fridays. And she was there with me. And I remember I put her to bed and she was taking a nap. And I went in the living room and I was just overwhelmed. Not a particularly emotional person, or at least not openly. I am certainly internally. And I just began to weep and weep and weep. And I couldn't get a control on it. I couldn't get a grip on it. I couldn't stop. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I, I didn't, I, I just, I couldn't get, I was just this puddle. And it was like everything that had been building and everything that I'd been facing and all the things that I'd been thinking, all of it came to a head in a single moment. And the only thing that I could do was just call Andrew. So I remember I, I picked up the phone and I'm just weeping. And I called my best friend. And I called him because he had proven himself trustworthy with my lowest moment. He had proven himself dependable and good and patient. So I called him and he picks up the phone and I can't even get words out. All I can do is cry. And minutes must have went by where my best friend was on the other end of the phone, not saying a word, just listening to me cry. And it all came to the end. And we were able to speak a bit. He said, Cody, it's not over. Cody, God is good. And Cody, I'm with you. One of the reasons that God brings us into the school of suffering is so that we can experience firsthand how dependable his goodness is. So that we can experience firsthand that he will be there when we call out to him. So that we can know firsthand that his kindness and his compassion, they don't wear out on us. That he brings us to this place of deep darkness, and there is something there for us to do. We've talked about God, but there is a responsibility that we have that God is drawing out of us. And the first is that we must wait patiently. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Jeremiah recognizes that he has a responsibility that he is to fulfill in this dark night of suffering. And the responsibility there is to wait. The imagery that he has in his mind is as when you're in the night, the night is always waiting on the morning, isn't it? The darkness is always waiting on the sunlight. And when we think about the cross, we know that Friday is always waiting on Sunday. That the crucifixion is always there, waiting on the resurrection. And those of us who are people of faith, those of us who are the children of God, that is us. We are in the midst of the dark with our lives still ruined, but we are waiting on Friday to give way to Sunday. But we don't wait in the waiting room. 
which is where so much suffering happens, isn't it? We don't wait in the waiting room like most people wait. Most people wait there in the waiting room of the oncologist, expecting the worst and hoping for the best. We wait there with certainty. Jesus goes to the cross on Friday with the certainty that Sunday's resurrection is coming. Night waits through the darkness with the certainty as the faithfulness of God demonstrates the sun will rise again. And that's who we are. Because of who God is, because our hope is in Him, we may walk through the midst of the darkness, we may languish throughout the night, but we know without doubt that joy comes in the morning, and morning is certainly on its way. That is what God is teaching to Jeremiah and to Judah and to us this morning, is that His faithfulness is more trustworthy than our eyes. We may look around and see bad everywhere that we look. You may open the bills that come in your mailbox and see only bad. You may wait, go to the, to the sonograms for your soon-to-be-born child and see only bad. You may look at your marriage and see only bad. You may turn on the news when you get home this afternoon and see only bad. You may answer the phone and hear only bad news. But the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. Like Jeremiah, lift up your gaze higher and wait by faith, knowing that the morning is coming. Wait by faith, knowing that I am dependable and trustworthy. Wait by faith, knowing that I am reliably and dependably good and that I will sustain my people. We must wait patiently and we must hope actively. We think of waiting as something passive. We think of sitting in the waiting room and scrolling Facebook nervously until the time is over and then going and, and kind of getting the, the gut punch from the doctor. That, that's not what's in view here. That waiting here is something that's active. Here's why I say that. The Lord is good. So, so Hebrews wrote, the, they wrote their poetry in parallel lines very often. Some of them were antithesis, some of them were, were similar, um, but it was intended that the second line clarified the first line. It, it helps you to really understand what the author meant by the first line. And so you can find either synonyms or antonyms by looking at those words. Well, there's a synonym there to wait. Therefore, uh, the Lord is good to those who wait, to the soul who seeks him. So these are meant to be synonyms. They are meant to, to be a repeat of the second thing, uh, of, the, of the same principle. That is, waiting and seeking coincide. And waiting may sound passive, but there is nothing passive about seeking. It's, it's saying, go after something, pursue something, know something, walk after something. So here's what he's saying, I think. What Jeremiah is realizing is there in the midst of suffering, there when you are waiting by faith that the morning is going to come. You're waiting on Friday, trusting that the resurrection of Sunday is on its way. That what you're supposed to do is live in faithfulness. Faith in the Bible always leads to faithfulness. And so what he's saying there is, even when I don't understand God, I will live for God. Even though I don't understand God's timing, I will obey the Lord in the strange mercies that he has presented to me today. Even though I don't see what God is doing, I'm still going to do what God has called me to do. Even though I don't understand him, I will seek him and honor him with my life. The, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he put it this way, trust him where you cannot trace him. Trust him where you cannot trace him. And brothers and sisters, you may be able to look at your life and it may be, you may be hard-pressed to see the kindnesses of God. You may look at your life and you may be hard-pressed to see the new mercies that are there every morning. You may look at your life and wonder if God could possibly still, what should you do? Trust him where you cannot trace him. 
Live for him anyway. Pursue him anyway. Walk faithfully by faith. Even though what your eyes are telling you is something hard. Even though what your eyes are telling you seems to be destroyed. Walk in the trust of the Lord. And I'm telling you, no person has ever walked after the Lord, waited for the Lord, and sought after the Lord and then been disappointed. You know why? Because there's a better song. A better song than Taylor Swift's song, Karma. There's a song that you can sing that will allow you to name your two-minute-old son, Tobiah, that God is good, even though life is hard. And it's great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Brothers and sisters, I know, I know, Life is hard. Many of us have prayed together. Many of us have wept together. Many of us have searched out answers together. I know that life is hard. But this morning my goal has been to lift up your chin a little bit. To see that even though life is hard, God is good. Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.